This podcast has not been sanctioned by the New World Order. Hi everyone, this is Neil Pruitt from Neil Pruitt's Secrets of WCW Nitro. You may have heard this voice before, the New World Order. I was the producer and the voice for the New World Order. You're listening to the Wrestling Basement Podcast. Hey everyone, this is Guy Evans, author of Nitro, The Incredible Rise and Inevitable Collapse of Ted Turner's WCW, and you are listening to the Wrestling Basement Podcast. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Wrestling Basement Podcast here on the Cruise Control Podcast Network, which you can find on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple, YouTube.com slash Cruise Control Podcast. If you're a fan of the show and the shirt, you can find it on ProWrestlingTees.com slash Cruise Control. Graham Matthews, my man, Bleacher Report, fan sided Daily DDT. My man, how you doing? Doing great, Randy. How about yourself? Doing good, man. Can't complain. You can follow Graham on Twitter at WrestleRant. You can follow me at Randy J. Cruz, R-E-N-D-Y, the letter J-C-R-U-Z. Check out the latest articles Graham has with some of the likes of who you got, who you got recently. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, we got Apollo Crews, the Intercontinental Champion, the SmackDown Women's Champion, Bianca Belair. We had the Miz a couple weeks ago, Miz and Maurice, uh, mm. Kyle O'Reilly, William Regal, John Cena, CM Punk. The list goes on and on and on. So those are just wow. like the main WWE ones. But wow, yeah. <laughs> and that's <laughs> like the last month. So it's been the I last month, the last like, like two weeks, maybe specifically. Yeah, it's been <laughs> the crazy. whole Seth Rollins as well. There you go. Again, follow Graham on Twitter at WrestleRant. Bleacher Report, fan-sided, daily DDT. So, on this show, for those who don't know, we we talk about a, a throwback topic from wrestling, whether it's 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and bring it to light now because some topics uh, tend to be uh, forgotten about. So, I know we did the show last week with um, we spoke about Daniel Bryan's contract ending and we don't know if he'll resign or stay and whatnot. But I said, Hey, since that is out there and I know we've had this topic for at least a year now to talk mm-hmm. about the yes movement and WrestleMania 30 and that whole timeline, which takes up a lot. I figured, <laughs> Hey, let's talk about Daniel Bryan, the yes movement leading up to WrestleMania 30 and many regard as WrestleMania 30 as one of the great WrestleManias of all time, top five te- uh, territory, depending on who you ask. Mm-hmm. So, Graham, when when was the first time you really noticed a guy like Daniel Bryan? For me, back in that back in that day, I could be totally wrong. It was the NXT thing with with the Miz, and he was like the Miz was supposed to be like his his uh, manager or someone who to, to yeah his mentor him. yeah mentor. Brian was like go. his protege they called it pro and rookie it was what they referred to it as officially yeah Stupid. pro and rookie Daniel Bryan no long hair no beard no nothing just a plain old regular face that's the first time I seen Daniel Bryan you might have seen him prior to that I don't know but when's the first time you've seen and recognized uh Daniel Bryan no, same here. I would love to say I was familiar with him from Ring of Honor and stuff like that, but I really wasn't. I only started watching wrestling right before that. So my first knowledge, my first exposure to Brian was on NXT. I heard rumblings, oh, they signed this guy, Brian Danielson. He's so good. They're going to change his name from Brian Danielson to Daniel Bryan, blah, blah, blah. That was it, though. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't watch Ring of Honor back in 
the late 2000s. I was not even watching wrestling at that point for the most part. So, um, mm. yeah, that was my first exposure to him as well was on NXT. Um, so w- when you see him and at that time, the climate, you still had Cena, Orton, Taker, Trip, uh, Triple H. Um, sh- I think Sean was, was Sean. No, Sean was out by that time. I think. Uh, Sean retired right after the show started. Right. So. And then a handful of other guys that I'm missing. But when you see him, did you look at him and say, you know, I, I think Punk was still there too. But did you see him as a guy like, all right, this guy could be tag team material. This guy could be IC champion material, US champion material. Did you ever see him as like, all right, at some point in time, this guy can, if he follows this path, he can eventually be a world champion someday. Did you ever think about that for Daniel Bryan? Absolutely not. And the funny thing is that we'll get into it here in that, you know, he said in his promo, his debut promo on NXT, you can go back and check it out. He said two things. One, his first word ever on WWE TV was yes. That is literally his first word on the show. Coincidentally enough. The second thing he also said in that same promo with the Miz, like, Oh, what are your goals here? He said, I want a main event WrestleMania. I fucking laughed. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe that at all. I mean, looking at the guy, not knowing how good he was, but even with how good he was, even if he was a great wrestler, he didn't feel over the top, like mean event material to me at that point in time. Like I just mm-hmm. didn't see anything overly exciting about him. He looked like he had a friggin' super cuts haircut and kind of bland gear. And, you know, I didn't even really see the thing is, is that again, I wasn't exposed to how good he was. And I can kind of see how people, casual viewers can see a guy like, not Matt Riddle, but I don't know someone like that who's really, really good, and they get called up in their book like a loser. Will you, uh, Brian literally when he was called up to NXT from developmental FCW, whatever, lost every match he had on the show. Every match he was could not win a single match to save his life, and then he was the first one eliminated from the competition. So he was made to look like a total loser. He was likable, but by no mm-hmm. means did I see him going on to have the success that he did. So. Kind of remind me, obviously, before this movement and all that stuff, what was like that pinnacle moment for him? That you're right, he goes from NXT with the Miz. So, was it a match? Was it a promo? Like, what made him go from here to there before we get into this whole yes movement stuff? So, he was the first one eliminated from the show in the spring of 2010. And then he kept coming back as he was doing like this on air feud with Michael Cole that lasted a few years after that. Cause that was when they started to turn Michael Cole heel, which was dumb. Um, <laughs> but then he was a part of the initial Nexus angle. Actually, he was supposed to be part of the Nexus and who knows what would have happened with that. Had he not gotten fired. So the whole necktie violence thing, he choked out Justin Roberts because they told him to do whatever they, whatever he wanted. He did whatever he wanted and he got fired for it. They brought him back within a few months, SummerSlam 2010. He got brought back to face the Nexus in the main event of the pay-per-view. Uh, started feeding with the Miz from there. And then he won Daniel Bryan, or Daniel Bryan won the Miz's United States Championship a month later and had a champion. So that kind of solidified him as a mid-card guy in the show. I never saw him getting above that level, but that was when I became a fan of Bryan. He won the United States Championship, one of my favorite matches as a fan. And then I had the chance to meet him actually like two weeks later at an indie show because he had already made all these indie bookings when he was fired. And he was mm-hmm. fulfilling all the requests. So I got to meet him when he was the U.S. champion, which was really cool at a random indie show in a freaking high school gym. So I was a fan of him at that point. But yeah, that was what took him to that next level was him winning that United States championship and going on to hold out for the next six months. And also winning money in the bank. That was also another thing, too, the following summer. Right. So correct me if I'm wrong. So he was, um, we get to 2012. 
at their WrestleMania. He's in the first match of WrestleMania, right? Mm -hmm. With Sheamus for the world championship. Yep. For the world championship. So remind me, Daniel Bryan is the world champion at this point. Yeah, he'd been champion for about three, three and a half months at that point. He won it in late 2011 by cashing in Money in the Bank on Mark Henry, or Big Show rather, turned heel, um, and then was feeding with Sheamus coming into WrestleMania. Yep. Wow. See, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah, I knew I mean, was he, he had that WrestleMania match in the beginning, first match on the card, and like in 20 seconds or whatever it was. 18 to be belt. exact. Eight, yeah. 18 seconds. I think he had, he had AJ Lee with him. Yeah, he did. They had a kiss on the apron, and then when he turned around, he got bro kicked by Sheamus. Sheamus, that was like mm-hmm. the downfall of Sheamus's popularity because that's when they started booing him because he beat Brian. But that was ironically like how the yes chant got over because he was super over going into the match, but he was even more over coming out of it because people were so pissed that he got screwed. So he was doing right. the yes chant as soon as he went heel in late 2011. The yes chant has been around for a decade, but people weren't really. It wasn't really catching on until WrestleMania 28. That was really the turning point for him. And it's amazing, amazing you you mentioned that because if you beat someone in less than 30 seconds, they're supposed to cheer you from now on. But now the crowd kind of like, eh, I, I I ain't like that because I guess they were more in, informed for for Daniel Bryan, and they probably like, man, that, that's kind of fucked up. How you made him lose in, two, in 30 seconds and. You put the belt back on Sheamus. I don't really like Sheamus like that. So I'm going to go boo him and I'm going to see where they take Daniel Bryan because for me to lose a belt in the first match of WrestleMania in that sort of a time, it's like, damn, did he do something wrong? <laughs> or like, are they going to try to build him now? Like, is this, this, is this the zenith for Daniel Bryan? Like, when you see that, were you more like, man, that's kind of fucked up? Or more like, you know what? They, they got something more in store for him later on. Um, No. So... People were pissed because they liked Brian, but also because they were expecting this great match. Brian and Sheamus can go in there and have a great match. At mm. that point, they were screwed out of it. So they t- honestly, they took out their frustration on the company out on Sheamus. So that was really the problem. Sheamus wasn't really the issue. He was fine, but people just liked Brian a lot more. Mm-hmm. So that was why they kind of turned on Sheamus and cheered Brian instead. And no, there were no plans. They they did not capitalize off the yes thing for a very long time until 2013. Coming out of WrestleMania, they did a rematch with the two at Extreme Rules, which was a fantastic match almost exactly nine years ago from when we're speaking right now. Um, and then they did nothing with the guy. He went on a feud with Punk for a little while. Again, lost a lot. Had amazing matches, but lost a lot. And it wasn't really until the Team Hell No stuff came about when he started doing no because they didn't want the fans saying yes. It was annoying. Uh, they, they tried they, they tried to actually kill the movement is what they did by turning him heel, keeping him a heel, mm-hmm. not turning him face. The Team Hell No stuff really saved his career, though. That got him back on track. They realized, okay, people actually like this guy, so let's give them what they want. And they started pushing him towards that main event level in the summer of 2013. I mean, I mean you, 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 you got to admit, the fact that Kane and Daniel Bryan is like one of the weirdest tag teams to be put together just by look, by height, like how the fuck is Styles, Kane and Daniel Bryan style yeah. is like, I don't recall, obviously there's, there's probably one or two, but a tag team that they put together and and, they, and it worked, but it looks so, so off. And, and then you wondered like that, that kind of shows and proves that whatever you put in Kane's uh, lap or Daniel Bryan's lap, they're going to do whatever they can. And, and eventually it got yeah, over for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know if I would call it the greatest makeshift tag team of all time. It's definitely up there, mm-hmm. but I mean, obviously rock and saw connection might be number one. 
Um, there, there's a handful, but that was, you know, the bars, obviously that's that, I don't know if it'd be in the top three, but that they did great work in the last couple of years, but yeah. they had similar styles. Ken and Brian did not their comedy work. The segments were funny. Yeah. It's one of the greatest mixture tag teams of all time. And they keep, you know, they keep coming back to where they had a segment of the rumble this year. They reunited very briefly in 2018. I think it was, mm-hmm. um, they had a very long tag team title reign. One of the longest reigns in recent memory of the last decade. So, um, yeah, you know, it was one of those teams that should not have worked as well as it did. And it really re- rejuvenated Kane's career, too. So he goes from Team Hell No back to being a single. And yes. then somehow, some way, he's in this mix for the world title with John Cena at SummerSlam 2013, correct? Yeah, Brian, so he loses the tag titles, feuding with the Shield for a little while. Uh, failed to win Money in the Bank. Next night on Raw, after Money in the Bank, Cena says, I want to choose my opponent. And he chose Daniel Bryan. And it was like, there was no, Bryan did nothing to earn the opportunity aside from just being over. And people mm-hmm. were pumped because Bryan was really popular. They wanted to see him in the main event spotlight. So Cena picked Bryan, I'm sure in, in, in reality as well, he wanted to face Bryan. And the match was made for SummerSlam at 2013. Which you had Triple H as a special referee. Yes. <laughs> Which, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I saw the match earlier to kind of, you know, prepare and everything. And uh, I thought it was a really, really dope match. And one of those rare matches that John Cena lets you beat him clean. Yes. Yeah. So, he, yeah. Right off the bat. One, what did you make of the build going into Daniel Bryan, John Cena at uh, SummerSlam 13, seeing Hunter be put as the referee, and then eventually seeing Cena lose clean in the ring? And what does that make you think about Daniel Bryan going forward? Well, I thought the um, build was great. Um, Cena is like Mr. SummerSlam. I don't know if he's the Mr. SummerSlam, but he's had a lot of great SummerSlam matches and programs and feuds. And that mm-hmm. was one of them. Uh, Brian was like, oh, you know, the, the whole story was it was pre-authority. So it was like it was right before the authority. They were saying, oh, you don't belong to be the, you know, you don't deserve to be the WWE, the face of the WWE or the WWE champion, blah, blah, blah. So it had a great build. The match was awesome. One of the best matches from that year. And that was on the same show. We got Punk and Lesnar, too. So that's one of the best pay-per-views in recent memory, I think. Because mm-hmm. uh, two of the greatest matches of that year and, and really the last decade. So, yeah, Cena had an injury going into the match, which is why he took time off afterward. And people were like, oh, that was why Brian won. And no, he fucking he won clean. He won clean. They didn't do any bullshit, you know, interference or whatever. Triple H was the ref, but I don't really think anyone thought anything of it just because he had been referee at least a time or two before that. And nothing came of it. Like he was the ref for Punk and Cena two years prior at SummerSlam, actually, and nothing happened. True. Him. True. So no one was really thinking anything of it until the heel turn happened. It's a cold. That was one of the best endings to a pay-per-view I've ever seen. Honestly, no one expected it. Orton cashing in. It was kind of expected. Not only did he go heel, they turned triple H heel too. And I hate the authority, but that was literally the peak. It was all downhill from there for the authority. That was the best. The authority ever got was that night when they did a Not a double turn, but two heel turns in one new champion. Brian gets screwed. Just an amazing night overall. So you're saying the authority peaked that night. 
Nothing they did after that was remotely as good. Some of the stuff they did in the build-up to WrestleMania 30 with Brian was great. Like when Triple H handcuffed Brian and just beat the fuck out of him. Like that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a really good angle. Other than that, though, I can't think of a single period or moment or match or whatever where the authority was any good. Leading into Survivor Series 2014, when Sting came in and they were doing that whole Team Cena versus Team Authority shit, that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But by that point, no one, no one wanted the authority around. So that's probably why it was as good as it was. I mean, I know me, me and you go back and forth. You, you hate the authority. <laughs> it was one of the worst periods in raw history. It was absolutely awful. The only person that got over because of it was Daniel Bryan. And the only mm. reason he got over because of it was because punk left and they just begged for Brian. That was never the plan. People think, Oh, he got screwed over at SummerSlam. So the plan was always for him to win the bell back in mania. No, it wasn't. If WWE had their way, he would have faced Sheamus at WrestleMania fucking 30 on the undercard, like five matches from the top. So it was really the fans that forced the company's hand and put him in the main event of that show. All right, so you got me thinking. If CM Punk left that January of 14, if if you remember, if you could tell me what was the if CM Punk would have stayed at least until WrestleMania, mm-hmm. what what were the plans for him? Around like I, I maybe it was Hunter. It was. Yeah. Just a straight up one on one, no title, no no nothing, just one on one. No title, maybe maybe no holds barred or something. But they had been building that for a while because you know they had their history from 2011, but Triple H was still the leader of the authority. Punk was anti-authority. Um, he was out of the title picture at that point. He was feuding with the shield. They were building the punk and triple H at WrestleMania. He was feuding with Corporate Kane in the meantime. Who gives a fuck? But that was gonna lead to Triple H and, and um Punk and Mania, and Punk probably would have won. Triple H beat him before that. They had that one match in Night of Champions 2011 that Triple right. H randomly won. So Punk would have avenged that loss, and if he walked out then, that would have been great, but I mean, it didn't really matter. He would have left anyway. Um, but yeah, that was the plan to do Triple H and Triple H and Punk. It would have been Orton and Batista one-on-one, and it would have been Brian and Sheamus. So Punk leaving actually made that show a lot better, shockingly enough. I recall Punk, Punk and Hunter were going back and forth, and um, Kevin Nash was involved. And that was oh, 2011, not 2013. But I'm yeah. saying, but that, 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 that's how far they go back. Yes, they had a lot they, of history. Yes, right. I actually enjoyed that early on until Triple H beat Punk randomly. I'm like, why? And Punk never forgot about that either. One of the mm. dumbest booking decisions I've ever seen because Punk was so hot by that point. So Triple H winning was stupid. And of course, everything is twenty twenty hindsight. And you think about, hey, would I rather see Punk and Hunter at WrestleMania? Or if you if you get that, you don't get this whole Daniel Bryan yes movement and all that yeah, kind of shit. Things worked out so, for the better. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I like the SummerSlam joint. Um, I felt Hunter turning was was I, I wouldn't say it needed because I don't recall what was happening at, at that point in time. But I felt mm-hmm. like it was an extra jolt for that Orton. To me, I think Orton's better as a heel anyway than a good guy. He had um, been a face by that point for several years, so that was a much yeah. needed change for a, in character for him as well. Could then now even Brian and Orton go back and forth on a couple uh, pay-per-views, and they they come back the following month for Night of Champions. Daniel Bryan wins the belt, but it's a fast count by the ref, and he gets stripped of the, of the title the night after. So they mm-hmm. keep building this whole. This whole storyline that eventually they do a Hell in a Cell match at Battleground. And or it's at Hell in a Cell. At a, uh, yep. Yeah. They did have a match at Battleground, though. They had that too. There was right. a couple. There was a lot. They had a lot of matches. So the Battleground one was a no contest. 
Correct. Do, after Big Show interfered, yeah. Then they do eventual Hell in a Cell match, and Orton wins the belt. Yep. And then Orton goes into with John Cena to converge the belts. Yep. Then Daniel Bryan is going over here with, I think he teamed up with Punk to take on the Wyatt family at this point, which was kind of weird. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it was just it was just to keep him busy. Keep it him actually busy. It, it, they did the Wyatt feud to put over the Wyatt family. He and Punk did beat the Wyatt family, but then Brian went on to face the Wyatt family at TLC three on one handicap, lost, and then he faced mm-hmm. Bray Wyatt at Royal Rumble and lost there too. Mm-hmm. So that whole thing was designed to get Bray Wyatt ready for John Cena at Mania, where he lost that, and that was also a dumb booking decision. Which I agree because if you mentioned. 2014 Royal Rumble. I'm gonna and we'll get to that. I'm gonna remember Batista winning. Yeah. And then the first match was Bray Wyatt and, and uh Daniel Bryan, which yeah. is a fucking great match. And I'm gonna ask the, you, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say it was the it's the best of Bray Wyatt's career. That's what you were gonna I was ask. Just gonna just gonna ask you that shit. <laughs> great minds think alike, my man. And I think we can compl- I think we can both agree that's the best Bray Wyatt match that he's ever had. One on one. Bray Wyatt was killing it at that point because the next month they did the Shield and the Wyatt family at Elimination Chamber, and that was awesome too. He's had some good matches in the last couple of years. The Roman Reigns Hell in the Cell match comes to mind as being a good one, but that's like 2015. He hasn't had a great match as the fiend. And then even before that, oh God, I couldn't tell you. Honestly, like he's not a wrestler kind of guy. Like he's more of a character. He has not had a lot of great matches and he's been here for a long time. So yeah, the Brian match is the best match he ever had. So Rumble 14 is, is Bray Wyatt, Daniel Bryan, first match. And like we agree, this is Bray Wyatt's best match. And we're talking this match was seven years ago. So we're saying <laughs> he hasn't had that type of caliber of match in seven years, whether it's his fault or not. But what what made that match so different from any of the match he's had prior and, and after? Why is that Bray Wyatt's best match uh, of his career? I mean, it's also coming off one of the best moments in Raw history when Brian was on top of the cage doing the yes chant and he broke away from the Wyatt family. Got to mention that, too. Um, that was an incredible all-time Raw moment. So you follow that up with a Rumble match or the match at the Rumble, and they just were they just have such great chemistry together. Brian can get a great match at a fucking a, a, like a stick, a broomstick. So, but they just had really good chemistry. It was a great dynamic, and yeah, he just not that Bray hasn't worked with great people since then, but they tend to pair him off with the Ortons, who is boring unless he's given the right. I mean, I think Orton's great, but he's got to be in there with the right guy. Mm-hmm. Terrible chemistry. The Cena matches, not great chemistry. Undertaker, not great chemistry. He worked with Rollins a few times a few years ago. The story there sucked, so it wasn't as good as it could have been. Um, Roman didn't have great chemistry, but they had a couple of decent matches, and that Hell in the Cell match, like I said, was pretty actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't work with the right people. Ryback, not great chemistry. Like He tends to work with people that just aren't good. Brian gave The Fiend his best matches at the Royal Rumble in 2020. They had a strap match on that show, and it was actually very good. So like, if they put him in there with guys that can go like that, and the story works, then it it's good. You know, like the Goldberg match was shit. Like the list goes on and on. Strowman, the matches weren't very good. So he's got to be in there with people that he can have good matches with. Brian is that guy, and Brian gave him his best match of all time. Even even the one he came back and he fought Finn, that wasn't. Those matches weren't that good either. 
Right. I don't know. And Finn's great. So again, just the story didn't really work. They had a decent match in No Mercy 2017. I remember Wyatt and Balor. It was when Finn was himself. He wasn't the demon. I just, I don't know. It just, it was, it, it, it got to a point by then. Just no one gave a fuck about Wyatt. So it didn't even matter if he had a good match. Just his booking was so bad and it still is kind of to an extent that just no one cares. So yeah, Brian is just one of the greatest of all time. We never got an AJ Fiend feud or an AJ Wyatt feud. So maybe that would have been mm. another great match had they gone down that route. Who knows? So at the Rumble, they, they did a one on one match. Daniel Bryan is not in the Royal Rumble match at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, all right, he got the first match. He'll take a little rest. He'll come back in. So I remember that, you know, they did one, five, ten. He ain't coming out. He ain't coming out. Then they get to 30. <laughs> and everybody, oh, this, it's time. Yeah. And fucking Rey Mysterio. <laughs> it was, it was awful. <laughs> yeah. Philly shat all over that. Not Philly or pittsburgh or wherever they were so it's like and again we sidebar but it's like the company i read somewhere the company just likes to egg the fans on just to give them what they don't want because yep. they know it'll piss, piss people off but they'll, they'll be talking about it so yeah we know you want daniel bryan in the rumble but you know what we're not we're not even not even gonna have him at all not 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 even number 30 he won't be in it at all so then it's like then you get Batista coming back. Mm-hmm. And I think they were booing him that night or the night after on Raw. Because usually, if you're a big-time star, you come back, you're in the Rumble, you win. That's yeah. just how it goes sometimes. And Batista happened to be that guy coming back. Because we haven't seen him in quite some time. He wins the Rumble. I'm like, okay, so now we're going to get Randy Orton and Batista. Yeah. But people, uh, fans are still uh, tight, the fact that, that Daniel Bryan... Not, not only did I win the Rumble, he wasn't even in the fucking Rumble. Yeah. So you as a fan watching this live, were you mad that Daniel Bryan was not even in the Rumble? Yeah, I mean, he should have at least been in it, if not won the whole thing, because people thought, you know, people have wrestled on the show before and then gone on to win it or at least be in it. So the fact he wasn't in it really pissed people off, and that ruined the whole match. It wasn't a great Rumble anyway, but that finish was just terrible. Mm-hmm. And Batista, if Brian, the Brian situation wasn't happening, he might have been cheered a little bit more. But the fact of the matter is that in 2020, 2014, people were not looking forward to Orton and Batista again. No one gave a shit. So, yeah, not putting Brian in that match and not having him win, which made all the sense in the world, was the biggest mistake they could have made. Mm. And I think Daniel Bryan does whatever he can to kind of get him into this match at Mania. Mm. So, two things. I, I remember going back when they did the, when they unified the belts. They had the episode on Raw, and all these people are in there. Brad, yeah. Big Show, Miz, Mark Henry, CM Punk, Daniel Bryan. And Hunter is talking, trying to cut this promo to, to promote this match with Orton and Cena. And the crowd is just chanting, Daniel Bryan, yes, they're going crazy. And Hunter's still trying to talk like shit ain't going wrong. And Stephanie's <laughs> yeah. in there. And they see Sean in there. You see Brett. And then everybody's yep. cheering for Daniel Bryan. And at some point, Mark Henry raises Daniel Bryan's hand like this. And the crowd goes ballistic, and I think we we've heard pops in our in our day, but I guess for the modern era, the last decade or so, like that that pop was so crazy for someone who they wanted to be liked or be the new guy uh, coming in or whatever. So 
the fans tell you what they want. Mm-hmm. It's just the company's decision to tell you we're going to hear you or we're going to go the opposite. And I think from that point on, they were like, listen, they love Danny Bryan. Somehow, some way, we got to get him into this main event at WrestleMania. And I don't want to get to Occupy Raw just yet, but do you re- do you recall that night? And when you see that, did you kind of feel like, man, at some point in time, Danny Bryan is going to be somewhere that's a mix for the world title? Yeah, that was really a turning point. I don't know if I thought he'd be in the world title max at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of gave up on that idea just because it felt like they were going in a different direction. But right. it did give me hope. It did make me want to see him in the title picture. But yeah, that was a real big turning point. And they were in his hometown that night, too. So that was obviously a factor as well. Oh, yeah, I, f- I forgot about that. And then yeah. The GIF or the GIF, whatever you call it. Um, Hunter is talking and he sees CM Punk laughing. Yeah, he's right laughing him. in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Punk was great at that period, too. I thought he was, he was just great. That also kicked off the bill of the Punk and Triple H at WrestleMania. So, right. Yeah, that kicked off a lot of stuff. So, and if I'm fast forwarding too much, let me know when, I, when I'm missing. But I think we get to occupy Raw sometime in March. Mm-hmm. And right, as of right now, it's supposed to be Orton and Batista for the title at, uh, at, at Mania. Hunter is not on the card. And then somehow, some way, Danny Bryan just says, yo, fuck that. I'm going to bring all these fans and all these people who come to the ring. Y'all, like, y'all not doing your show until we get what we want. Crowd's going crazy. Bunch of people in the ring and outside. Yeah. Hunter and Stephanie come out, get out my ring and all of this stuff. And they was like, just give me, give me what I want. And all I want right now is a match with you at WrestleMania 30. And then Hunter says, you, you know, you got it. He tries to leave. And then Danny Bryan said, Oh, hold on. One more thing. Yeah. I, if I beat you, you put me in the match with, with Orton and Batista at WrestleMania. So mm-hmm. with me and you in our heads, when you see that, okay, Daniel Bryan's going to beat Triple H. Mm-hmm. He'll beat him in a vet, and he'll probably win the whole match. Because I, I still can't even imagine if Orton and Batista was the main event. Oh, it would have been awful. That was in New Orleans. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, just imagine Batista Orton was the main event. Like how good or how terrible would that match have been? Do you think? Absolutely awful. I mean, Batista at that point <laughs> could still have good matches, but just they had no chemistry. They never really had any chemistry, but especially at that point, n- no one would have cared. So that match just would have been terrible. And I think when you put, you know, Orton was in a good spot as, as the bad guy, you know, yeah. the, the authority behind him. It's just like Batista, I, I guess Batista didn't, he didn't fit somehow. And I guess, it, again, it wasn't his well, fault. It just, yeah. They and turned him heel was, ultimately, and that helped. But yeah. he was supposed to be like the baby face going in, and just didn't. It was just bad timing. Had they done it a year earlier or a year later, I think it would have worked out a lot better. I think, in my opinion, the, the Occupy Raw mm-hmm. segment seven years ago. Like, where do you put that as far as like one of the when I say all time, one of the all time great segments in Monday Night Raw history. I, again, we don't got to say top five, top ten, but where do you, where do you kind of, what atmosphere do you put that Occupy Raw segment as far as Raw goes? Um, I do got to go in a minute, so I'll, I'll finish up with this. Maybe we do a second part because uh, there's just so much more that we have to discuss here. But I will say this: 
I don't know if I would put in the top 10. I would put the yes chant where he turned face again with the Wyatt family above that just because I remember that. I mean, I love the Occupy Raw segment and it was an amazing mm. visual. The chance for that first one I would put over the Occupy Raw shit. Um, but the Occupy Raw thing was really, really good and it set forward the match for Mania. It was beautifully mm. done. Again, it was an amazing visual. One that people will never forget. But Brian was like the closest thing to a Stone Cold at that point, where Stone Cold during his run on Raw was having moment after moment, week after week, like with the beer truck and the cement and all this other shit. Like Brian was doing that same thing with shit that he was doing from week to week on Raw. That's mm -hmm. how great he was and still is. Um, but yeah, I would put it slightly behind that. But if you said top 15, I don't think I would argue with you there. Mm. So, Graham, you got to go, correct? I do, but again, if you want to finish this up another time, I can totally do it because we still got to get to the Mania match. There's, I don't want to slight yet and, and, and just right. rush into it because there's so much more I want to say on this. Um, maybe maybe this is going to be the first ever part to basement because That's there's right. so much, you know, there's so much we can get to. There's so much to discuss here. All right, so we'll do a part two to this uh, Yes Movement WrestleMania 30 uh, storyline timeline for Daniel Bryan. I don't want to keep you waiting. Uh, you can follow Graham on Twitter at WrestleRant. You can follow me at Randy J. Cruz, R-E-N-D-Y, the letter J-C-R-U-Z. Find the podcast on SoundCloud, Apple, and Spotify. Also, YouTube.com slash Cruise Control Podcast. We'll do a part two with some time this week. Graham Matthews, my man. Take it easy. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Randy. Appreciate it. All right.